I'm an alcoholic. My name is Dana. Hi, family. I have no idea what I'm doing up here, and I'm like Mike. I'm nervous, too, and, and I'm hoping that after this lead, you get to know me a little better, and I get to know you a little better, and, and I just can't believe I'm here. I swear to God, I can't believe I'm here. Um, I don't know why, but I, I'm, I'm real emotional right now, and, and I just want to cry, and, and I think that's because I get real excited about Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and I get even more excited when I think about how this fellowship saved my life. Um, there's no doubt in my mind about what I am. I know exactly what I am. I am an alcoholic, and I'm also an addict, and, and, and there's just no, no doubt. There's no indecision about what I am anymore, and, and, and for me, that's the first step. I know what I am. And, um, you know, I used to have this real grueling story that I told about what it used to be like, and, and, and my story was filled with a lot of abuses and, and, and I used to say things about my parents and about my upbringing and, and about who I thought I was and, and how I thought I got here and, and, and I told that story for probably three, four years in this program and, and I called my sponsor one day, you know, and I said, you know, I got this real grueling, depressing story that I tell about my alcoholism and, and, and I've made a few meetings and, 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 and I keep hearing people say these words like dysfunctional families and, and, and ACOA and, and, and I'm realizing that I'm using these words as, as battering rams to beat my parents over the head with, you know, and, and, and I'm telling my sponsors, I'm, I, I don't like this story, you know, I'm, I'm just not real comfortable with, with who I'm telling people that I am and how I got here and, and she said just pray Danny you know you pray and, and, and the honesty and the inside will come and, um, <clears throat> and so that's what I did you know I, I started to pray and, and, and I can remember making meetings and, and, and telling people how I, I wasn't loved as a kid and that's all I ever wanted I, I just wanted to be loved and, and, and I didn't get that love because my mom was this and, and my dad was that, you know, but when I started doing some digging and I started working the steps and the principles of this program, my story started to change. And, and it's funny because it, it was the same story, but it, it started to change. And, and, and I started to look back and, and I started to see things like mom fixed dinner and, and she read me stories at night and, and, and my dad played with me and he taught me things and, and he took me fishing and hunting and, and birthdays and, and Christmas was always so special and, and, and I got lots of hugs as a kid and, 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 and my mom kissed my face in front of my friends and she made me embarrassed and, and, and you know, I started to realize that, that I was loved as a kid, you know. I did get that love and, 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 and for a long time I had to take a while out in this program to really do some reflection and to start appreciating my parents for, for who they are and um, you know my life just started getting better and, and, and I realized that when I told that grueling awful story you know about my past and, and, and who I thought I was I realized that that story justified the way that I lived you know it justified why I was an alcoholic, why I did the things that alcoholic people do, why I stole, why I cheated, why I manipulated, why I ended up in AA, why I ended up in treatment four times, you know. I, I, I needed a reason to be here. 
Never in my life did I ever want to be an alcoholic because I saw firsthand what alcohol did to people and, and I swore up and down that that would never ever happen to me and um, when I come out of that story, I got unstuck, you know. I was stuck in the past for so long, but I was still making meetings and I was still showing up and I wasn't drinking, but I tell you what, I was real, real stuck, you know. And um, when I got unstuck, it's like the whole world changed in my eyes. Um, I'm, I'm not from here. I'm, I'm from Detroit, and, and, and I was born and raised there, and, and I can remember my family, you know, we, in my household, about, I'm old. We had black and white TV back then, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we did stuff as a family, you know, and, and, and of course, my dad was the ultimate authority, and, 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 and we spent time watching Mannix and Cannon and Hogan's Heroes and Wild Kingdom, and, and, and it was okay, you know, it was really okay, and, and, and then I started to grow, and, and my needs started to change, and, and, and I guess when I turned 14 was the first time that I noticed that I wasn't really comfortable in, in the skin that I'm in, and, and, and all of a sudden I started not liking life, and, and all of a sudden I, I couldn't sit in my family's TV room and watch TV with my parents anymore. I was changing. My needs were changing, and I've always been one of those people who is uh, please hear what I'm not saying kind of person, and, and I never, ever knew how to tell people when I hurt, you know. And, and, and at 14, I was hurting, and, and, and I wasn't drinking then. I took my first drink at three, but I wasn't actively drinking through most of my preteen years. And um, at the age of 14, I, I, I made my first attempt at suicide, and it wasn't because I was drunk. It was because I was so unhappy. Oh, my God, I was just so unhappy, and, and, and I didn't understand what was happening to me, and, and, and I didn't know how to tell anybody that I was hurting. And I was in my first year in high school, and, and, and I was hanging out with people who were into some real healthy things. You know, I was a swimmer, and I hung out with the swimmers, and, and we went to swim practice, and we got in that water at 5.30 in the morning, ice cold, you know, and then we went to class, and, and we came back at the end of the day, and, and, and we swam some more. And, and so I had friends, and, and, and I still had my family, but I was just so uncomfortable with me. Um, Around 16, I, I, I switched crowds, you know, and, and I understand now what, what you mean when you say to me that birds of a feather flock together. See, I, I quit hanging with those swimmers for, for whatever reason, and, and I started hanging out with people who were into something else, you know. They drank and they drug, and, and, and I was real popular in high school, you know. I, I was president of my class and captain of the cheer team and, and I was a swimmer and I was real athletic and, and, and I had decent grades and, and but I just felt like something was missing, you know, and um, it, it's been my experience in this program that every now and then I, I get that feeling again where I just I just feel like something's missing, you know, like I'm I'm needing something that I'm not getting and, and I thought that I was getting my needs met in this new crowd I started hanging with and, and, and they drank and they drug and, and, and at that time I I was real naive and, and, and I wasn't real educated about alcoholism and what drugs and chemicals did to people and, and, and sex and boys and all that kind of stuff. I was just kind of real sheltered and I was just coming out of that shell and um, I started to drink and, and drug in high school and um, you know I, I understand today that, that, that I was searching for something and I thought I had found it. Well I made it through high school and um, 
I finally graduated and, and, and I went on to my first year in college and, and, and my drinking and my drugging pattern went with me and um, throughout that time I, I, I still wanted to be loved, you know, I, I wanted to be held and, and I wanted my back rubbed and, and I wanted people to tell me that I was okay and, and, and I looked outside myself, you know, and, 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 and I looked in boys and, and, and I looked in toys and, and, and I looked everywhere except for inside of me and um, I, I got to say that I, I, I did have a higher power. I, I thought of my understanding of my mother. We went to church and, and I was raised Lutheran and we switched over to Methodist in my teenage years and um, and I had this higher power and I can remember being a kid and, and, and praying to this higher power and I used to say stuff like, God, just, just make me pretty, you know, because I thought that if I was pretty that would make people like me better and, and then I would say, okay, God, just make me smart because if I get good grace, then, then people will like me better, you know. And then I thought, okay, God, just um, help me to not be so mean, because I was a mean little kid, you know. And, and, and people I didn't even know, man, I'd be walking down the street, and people would walk up to me, strangers, and they said, God, why you look so mean? And, and, and I know today it's because I was unhappy, you know. And um, one of the biggest benefits I've gotten in this program is learning how to tell people when I hurt. You know, and um, I can't tell you how many conferences like this I've made in my recovery and how many conventions I've gone to. And, and, and I've sat out there just like you're sitting now. And, 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 and I've been dying inside in a room full of alcoholics. And, and, and I needed to talk and tell people I was hurting, but the words just wouldn't come. And, 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 and that's one of the defects that I have that I've worked oh so hard to get rid of is to open my mouth and tell people when I'm hurting. And, and I can remember a conference that I made, I think it was Ikipah, maybe four years ago, and I was sitting there, and I swear I had the weight of the world on my shoulders sitting in that conference, and I was sitting there just like you're sitting now. And all I wanted to do was grab somebody and pull them to the side in the middle of that conference and say, just please listen to me. Just, 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 just let me use your ears for about 10 minutes because I just need to dump because I'm hurting and I'm scared and I don't want to drink, you know. And above all else, I don't want to die because I've learned in this program, man, that you ain't got to drink to want to die. You can die right here in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I've learned through the years to um, open my mouth and, and, and talk to people and, and tell them when I'm hurting, you know, and... Um, this program has changed my life so much, you know, I just, I can't say enough about it. Anyway, in, in, in college, my first year in college, I, I met a boy, and, and, and boy, I thought he was just the best thing that ever happened since sliced bread. My God, he was my high power. From this man, I got courage, and I got strength, and I got comfort, and I felt loved, and I just thought, man, I was the cat's meow so long as I was next to this man. And, uh, and, 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 and I said about the business of, of what I call my first obsession, obsession on love, you know, and, and, and that's the way I am, man. I got this disease that tells me to do stuff to the extreme, you know. If, if, if I love, I love too much. And if I hate, I hate too much. And, and when I drink, I drink too much, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm an extremist, and I love this poor boy to death, and I about suffocated him to the best of my ability. And, um, you know... After about a year of that, um, somebody saw fit to put three bullets in the back of this man's head and just blow the whole left side of his face apart. And, and it happened on Valentine's Day. And um, 
1985, and um, that was the first time that I could remember feeling depression at the most rock-bottom level that you can ever feel depression. I mean, I just, I just didn't want to show up for life anymore, you know, and, and, and nothing made sense. And, and I was drinking and I was drugging and, 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 and I used chemicals to fight my way through it and, 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 and I just didn't want to live anymore. And, um, you know, I learned something from that, you know. I learned that I needed help. You know, that was the first time I was ever forced to reach out and ask somebody for help. And it, and it wasn't a, please help me not drink anymore. It was a, please help me not die right now. And um, life went on, and, and, and I ended up in my first treatment center in 1988. And um, I went to that treatment center for the sole purpose of getting away from the environment that I was in. I had no intentions of recovering. I, I didn't want to stop drinking. My life had gone beyond unmanageable and into unbearable, but um, I couldn't understand the powerlessness. You know, I, I know today that if the first step eludes me, then the other 11 steps are not going to make sense. You know, and, um, and I didn't have the first step, and, and, and I went into that treatment center uh, with, with, with all the wrong ideas and, and, and I was full of myself and, and, and I was young and I was, I was 22 years old and, and I hadn't had a DUI and I hadn't had a PI but I still felt empty, you know, that the emptiness that I had as a child has just been with me for oh so long and um, I got in this treatment center and, and, and back then you, you go to treatment man and they kept you forever you know as long as you had good insurance well none of this seven day stuff they got now man they, they kept you for a lifetime it seemed like and uh, you know I'm in there and, 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 and I go to my very first AA meeting and this treatment center was in Dadeville, Alabama and um, I had never been there before in my life, and, and, and I go to my first meeting, and um, I'm the only little black face in there, you know, and, and, and the chairperson says, um, like we do, he says, is there anybody here for their very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and uh, I sat there, man, I didn't flinch, I was stiff as a board, I didn't raise my hand, I didn't bat an eyelid, I didn't do nothing, I just sat there, because I didn't think they'd notice me, you know, I just would go unseen, and uh and so my first meeting in AA was not a first step meeting and, and when I'm in meetings with newcomers and, and, and the chairperson says, is there anybody here for their very first meeting and that newcomer sticks his or her hand up or they go, hey, yeah, this is my first time here, my heart pours out. See, because I didn't have the courage to do that my first meeting. I, I couldn't tell you it was my first time here. I didn't want to be here. I didn't like you. I wasn't an alcoholic. I had no intentions of not drinking anymore, you know. And so now when I see the newcomer, I take time out to welcome that person. And I don't care who they are or what they look like or what they smell like. If they're in a meeting with me and it's their very first time, I break my neck to give that person a hug and whatever else it is they need. If they need five minutes of conversation, they got it. If they need to go to coffee, they got it, you know, because I know the importance of coming to a meeting for the very first time. And you know what I'm talking about when you're sitting in AA for the very first time and you ain't got a clue about what to expect. And you don't know who you are or where you're going, but you know you don't want to go back to living the life you used to live. And, um, and, and, and so that was my first meeting. You know, it wasn't a first step meeting and, and we get back to the unit after this meeting and, and, and I'm telling all of the nurses and the therapists on staff that I have no intentions of ever going back to that AA stuff. You know, it just, it didn't apply to me. Everybody seemed real 
old. You know, I was 22, and they, my God, boy, did they seem old to me, you know. And, 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 and I couldn't identify, and, 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 and I know today that I was focusing on the differences instead of the similarities, and, and, and I couldn't hear anything, you know. I was just so full of myself. And um, I went through this treatment center for 28 days, and um, at the end of that 28 days, I got out and, and, and I went back to Detroit. And, and, and as soon as I got off that plane, I relapsed within one hour. You know, I just wasn't ready. And um, I know today that it, it, it takes what it takes. You know, I, I know some people in this program who come around for the first time and, and they get it just like that, man. They just get it. It's just this miraculous turnaround and, and they don't want to drink no more and they accept this new way of living into their life and, and, and that's just it and, and they're here to stay and I tell you what, it didn't happen that way for me. It took a lot of convincing to prove to me that I was truly an alcoholic. Um, three treatment centers later, uh, I ended up in Michigan City, Indiana and um, the reason I went there, my mother found this place, you know, and I can remember in, in the midst of my drinking, my mom come to me and, and the first thing she noticed was the unmanageability. The car note wasn't getting paid. See, that's what she could relate to, the financial part of the unmanageability. And she come to me one day and she said, you know, Dana, the, the, the credit acceptance place is called here and your car note's three months behind, but you're working every day. What's going on? You know, and uh, I summoned up all the courage I thought I had inside, and, and I said, you know, Ma, I got a problem with gambling. I just can't quit gambling, you know, because I'm um, in Detroit. The numbers is a big business, you know, the lottery and the street numbers and that kind of thing. And, and, and I convinced my mother that I had this gambling problem, and, and she accepted that because she didn't want to believe what was true, and she knew what was going on. And, um, you know... In the midst of my insanity, my mother said to me one day, she said, you know, Dana, I just can't take this anymore, you know. And um, I believe that was the turning point for me in this program. See, because I had always had enablers my whole life, throughout my entire drinking career. Anytime I drank and anytime I screwed up, there was always somebody there to bail me out. And my mother was my number one enabler, and my father was number two because I was a daddy's girl. And um, it got to a point where she just threw her hands up in utter desperation, and she said, I just can't stand you anymore. And um, I can't tell you what that did for me, you know. Um, she put me on a plane and, and she sent me here to Michigan City, Indiana, and, and she chose that place because they said it was a psychiatric kind of thing. See, she thought I was crazy, and I thought I was crazy too, and, and she said to me, you don't need no more of that stuff that focuses on that drinking. You need something that focuses on, on your thinking because you're nuts. It's, there's something real wrong with you, and I don't like you anymore. And, 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 and so I come to Michigan City, and, and all I had was a, a stuffed Mickey Mouse doll and some clothes and a suitcase. And, and I got here, and, and I knew that this was the end. You know, I knew that I either had to make the decision to commit to this new way of life or I was going to go back out there and I was going to drink and I was going to die. And um, I need to tell you that while I was in that treatment center, um, AAs just like you came inside and carried the message, see. And, 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 and I want to tell you that if, if, if there's a treatment center anywhere around where you're from, and it's a lot of people from my area, and they know about the treatment centers, and I don't know where 
rest of you guys are from, but if there's one around there, get to the newcomer because they need you, because that saved my life. Because every Thursday morning we had a women's meeting, and women from outside the unit came in, and they carried their message. They shared their experience, strength, and hope with me. And for the first time in my life, I started to see people who weren't drinking anymore. See, not drinking was never a reality for me. I had never, ever in my life known anyone who had ever stopped drinking. I never knew anybody who had gone through treatment, who had quit cold turkey, who substituted, who got church, who whatever. I never saw anyone who had ever quit drinking until I saw these women on Thursday morning. And, um, and they let me be crazy. And, 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 and that's another thing I want to say. You know, we, we, we got to give our newcomers their time to be crazy because they're going to come in nuts and, and ain't nothing going to make sense and, and they ain't going to like themselves and they ain't going to like you and, and, and they're going to be like me, man. I took meetings hostage when I found out I had a voice because I didn't know I had one for the longest time. When I found out I had a voice, man, I took AA meetings hostage. Do you hear me? I would share forever, forever. I would not shut up. And, and, and I share whatever come to my mind because finally I found a group of people who would listen and nobody had ever listened to me before. And, and whatever come to my mind came out of my mouth. And, and, and I need to tell you this too, and, and in that area, in the Michigan City area, um, the first meeting I went to, I said, hi, my name is Dana, I'm an addict, because that's what I could relate to. I knew the drugs had, had tore me apart, just ripped me to shreds, and I knew that I was powerless over the drugs, but I was in denial about the alcoholism. And there was a well-meaning old-timer in that meeting who said to me real politely with his finger in my face, this place is for alcoholics. And if you wanted them other folks, you need to go on across the street. He was referring to the treatment center, which is right across the street from, from the Dunes house where I lived. And, um, and, and I felt rejection. You know, I, I felt real rejected because I didn't know what I was. And sometimes people are going to come to AA and, and they're going to introduce themselves in ways that we may not be accustomed to. And you've got to give them time to be crazy. you just got to give them time, you know. And I left that meeting and, and it was like... Deja vu. I went back to the unit and, and, and I told the therapist, I said, I'm not going back because I'm not welcomed in AA. I'm not welcomed there. The man told me don't come back. You know, he told me I'm an addict. I don't belong in AA. And so what am I supposed to do now? You know, and uh, I got in my room later that night and I got down on my knees and I started to pray. And, and, and another member in that treatment center who was in there at the time came up and he said to me, he said, you know, Dana, I never seen an addict who didn't drink, and that stuck in my mind. And I started thinking about my drinking because I had been in denial about that for all oh, so many years. And I started to remember the times when I drank to get drunk. And I remember the days when I've never been a person who could hold my liquor. I cannot stand the taste of alcohol, but I drank it anyway. It just didn't matter, you know. And so the next day I went back to the meeting and um, I said with much regret, my name is Dana and I'm an alcoholic. And my recovery started from that point, you know. Um, we have a third tradition in this program, and um, it says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And, and, and since that day, I've, I've sat in AA meetings, and, and, and I've seen people come in, and, and, and I've seen them say, I'm so-and-so, and I'm an addict. And, and, and I've seen chair people ask that person to leave, and it tears me apart every time I see it. Because if I had been told to leave from my very first meeting, I would not have come back. 
I wouldn't have come back. I would have died out there in active addiction and active alcoholism, and I know that, you know. And so today it does my heart good when I'm in a meeting and, and someone introduces themselves in a way that we're not accustomed to, and that chairperson says, do you have a desire to stop drinking? See, we got to get back to the basics, and, and, and for me that's one of the basic principles in this program is, am I with someone who has a desire to stop drinking? I'm not asking you to do nothing else, just do you want to stop, you know? And um, after I got out of that treatment center, I, um, I went out and I got myself an apartment, and um, I sat in that apartment and I worked on me, and I tell you work, I, what, I work real hard in this program. I work so hard to keep what I have. I got in that apartment, and, 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 and I didn't get my recovery over the phone either because I was poor when I come in. I didn't have nothing but the clothes on my back. That's all I had. And AA's helped me to get that apartment, but I couldn't afford a phone. So for the first year of my recovery, I recovered without a phone. And it did something good for me. It made people come by my house. It helped me to learn to be a little bit more sociable. It helped me to learn to open my door and let people in. And, um, and I got a job, and, 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 and I went to this job, and I worked from 7 o'clock until 4 in the morning. And, and when I got off work, I, I, I made a meeting, you know. And, and in my area, there are three meetings a day, and, and there's one at 5.30, and there's one at 8 o'clock, and I was there. I just kept showing up. And I didn't know a lot about what I was doing. I didn't have a clue about how to live. I didn't know how to wash a load of clothes. I can't tell you how many clothes I destroyed because I didn't know how to wash. Here I was, this little girl, 23 years old, with the emotional intellect of a 16-year-old, you know, and I didn't know how to live. And, and, and the first time I went shopping, I bought ice cream and cookies and Cheetos and pop and and because and, and I just didn't know, you know. And, and, and it's members of this fellowship that grabbed me by my hand and said, Danny, you, you, you got to buy some vegetables and you need to buy some meats and get yourself some juice and some fruit and some bread and some eggs and some cereal so you can eat a well-balanced meal. And, and, and I know today that part of recovery is eating right, you know, but I had that mentality of a child and, and, and I just didn't know that. And, and so I made two meetings a day. I made as many meetings as I possibly could. And in between meetings, I hung out with recovering people because that's all I knew to do. And, and it wasn't so much that, that I didn't want to drink anymore. It's just that I knew I didn't want to live the way that I was living before I stumbled into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And after I come from a meeting at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I got in my bed and I worked on me. I got that big book out. And I tell you, I didn't like that big book much when I first read it because it read real awkward to me and I just didn't like the way it was written. And so I grabbed onto the 12 and 12 and that read easier and that's what I read. And I read my Bible and I read other recovering books and I did a 10-step on me each and every night. And every night I got down on my knees and I prayed. And, 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 and I say prayer, but really... I think I was begging. I, I mean, I got down on my knees and, and, and I begged God. I said, God, just what, whatever happens in this day, just, just please don't let me drink. You know, that's all I did. I begged God for a whole year straight. God, just please don't let me drink. Because that's what I heard. You told me that's what you did in meeting. You told me you prayed in the morning. You told me you prayed at night. You told me you read your big book. You told me you got a sponsor. You told me you kept showing up. And that's what I did. And I didn't know a lot about what I was doing. I just acted as if, you know. And um, after about six months of that, you know, I, I was without a sponsor this whole time. You sponsored me. 
You know, I, I can't say enough about getting honest in meetings and, 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 and when, I, when I introduce myself and I say, my name is Dana, I'm an alcoholic, and, and you say hi to me and, and I say hi family, it's because you're my family, see. I was in Michigan City and I don't have any family here. All my family is in Detroit. I ain't got a single solitary biological relative within 300 miles of where we are right now, you know. But in those meetings, in the meetings through you, I found mothers, I found fathers, I found grandparents, I found brothers, I found sisters, I found in-laws, I found great-grandparents. I found what I needed in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. Um, after six months of making meetings and, and just staying dry and, 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 and getting a little feel for the steps, I was still on that first step, you know. I was sitting in a meeting, and, and I'll never forget it. It was at 5.30, and it was a real big crowd, and, and, and I said, Hi, my name is Dana. I'm an alcoholic. And um, I, I, to describe to you what happened to me within the next five minutes of me saying that, I, I can't even find the words to say it, but, but I tell you this. What I am hit me all at once. See, I had been making meetings and abstaining from alcohol for six months. But at the end of that six months, my higher power got my attention. And when I introduced myself in that meeting, it's like, the full committee in my head, everybody started talking all at once. And they all said, oh, my God, Dana, did you hear what you said? You're an alcoholic. Oh, my God, do you know what that means? You can't drink anymore. Oh, man, you really wanted him. It took six months of me showing up and not drinking to accept what I am. Six months. You know, and, and that's why I tell a newcomer or anybody struggling, anybody that's just coming back, just keep showing up. I don't care what's going on. I don't care about your wife. I don't care about your husband, the kids, the job. Everything's crazy. Just keep showing up. And eventually something's going to happen and your life is going to change. And it changed for me in that meeting. And, and I tell you what, I went through the full grieving process. I, I, I went into denial. I got pissed. I never cried. And I realized at that point that I needed a sponsor. And there was a lady who was coming around my group who I had watched for six months, and I just watched her, and I watched how she made meetings, and I listened to how she shared. And she was always on the spiritual level. She wasn't caught up in the symptoms anymore. And, and, and I have to give oodles to my old-timers because, see, people with more time than me in this program keep me out of the symptoms, you know. But, but I know today that we got to stick around here long enough for the symptom to go away. And that's all the drinking is. It's just a symptom. The old timers kept me into other things like my behavior, like my financial unmanageability, like my part in the relationships that I was in in my life. You know, they kept me into how I treated other people. They kept me away from the drinking, and God, that's what I needed. And so I watched this lady for six months, and, and after this meeting where I got this profound revelation, um, I went up to her, and, and I did probably the most difficult, second most difficult thing that any AA can do, and I said to her, would you please sponsor me? And I can't tell you how much courage, <laughs> who got, how much swallowing of pride, how much humility it took for me to ask that woman to sponsor me. I never thought I needed help at that level. I thought I could fix myself but I knew I needed somebody in my life who could walk me through them steps because I just wasn't getting it. I couldn't get beyond one. 
And she said to me, yeah, Dana, I'll sponsor you just as long as I'm not the only one. And I said, okay, fine, you know. And I said about the business of using that sponsor. And, and I called her up, and, and, and we talked steps, and, 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 and she guided me through, and, and, and she explained that second step to me. And if there's anything I can give to anybody, it's the second step because I know today the first step told me what the problem was. You know, I'm an alcoholic and I can't drink safely. When I drink, awful, terrible, pathetic things happen to me. The second step told me what the solution was. I needed a power greater than myself. And I can tell you right now with, with, with some years in this program that I am still coming to believe. You know, I'm still coming to believe. My concept of my higher powers has changed, you know. At that time, I just needed something. It just, it didn't matter what, you know. And, and I borrowed my sponsor's higher power for a long time. And I brought your higher power because you came to meetings and you told me how your higher power was working in your life. You told me how you got through bad situations. You told me how you got through deaths in the family. You told me how you got through divorces and failed relationships and, 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 and how your children weren't doing what you thought they were supposed to be doing and, and, and how your God was sustaining you and so I borrowed from you. I borrowed your higher power until I could get one of my own and um, you know when I think back to that, that time in my life and I think about that second step I get oh so grateful you know and I'm still real grateful for that today. Um, after three years of um, showing up at meetings and getting into service work and I got my first sponsee, and um, this young gal come to me, and she asked me to sponsor her. And, oh, my God, I was so flattered. I never thought I had anything that anybody was interested in giving. And, and, and she asked me to sponsor her, and I said yes. And the first thing she said was, I want to write the steps. And I didn't know what she meant. I mean, we had written steps in treatment, but other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of writing of the steps and uh, she come to me with these guys and she already had planned out what she wanted to do and, and I said fine and so we started writing steps and um, I can't tell you the benefits and, and, and how I grew from that, you know, to sit down and write out the first step, to go further and, 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 and write my thoughts on step two. Um, to get into that third step and write what I believed or didn't believe about a power greater than myself and then to share that with someone. You know, that's what this young lady gave to me, and um, and, and and I learned the value of, of keeping an open mind. And um, I got to tell you, when when I come here, we got a how formula: honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And um, I work that formula backwards. I'm just a backwards, slowly recovering alcoholic, I guess. I don't know. You know, uh, I got the willingness first. I was willing to show up at meetings. And I was open-minded enough to listen to what you said and make suggestions of me. I was open-minded enough to do that. And then finally the honesty came later. And, um, and so I started writing steps, and, and, and I noticed I was changing. I was starting to grow. And, 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 and then one day I realized that I was spiritually hungry, you know, and um, that spiritual hunger led me on a quest to um, find a higher power of my understanding even further, and that led me into a church. And, and, and I'm not condoning that, and I'm not pushing that on anybody who ain't there. I just know for me that one day I woke up and my spiritual needs had changed and I needed something more. And I started going to a church and, 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 and I started to do things like take walks and um, I started to help other people and, and, and I started to notice that I was not only feeling a lot better about me, I was feeling better about you and, and, and I wasn't afraid anymore. Um, at three years sober, I, I looked up one day and I said, uh, what do I want to be when I grow up? 
you know. See, recovery had been a full-time job for me, and I worked hard, and I still do, you know. And um, I started to realize that I wanted to do something with my life. I was 26, 27 years old, and, yeah, I was working, and, and I had a great job. And that's another thing about us, man. We work good. We're, we're good workers when we finally sober up, you know. We work hard. We play hard. That's just the way we are. You know, and, and, and I had this job and things were great and I started off running blueprints for this company and they sent me back to school to learn to program computers and I'm sitting in front of computer terminals every day and this was at a time when computers was, there was this big influx of them and they got real popular and, and I realized one day sitting in front of that terminal that, that I wasn't completely happy. I, I still felt that void. You know, and I know about that hole, that God hole, and don't nothing fit in the God hole but God. And um, I said, what do I want to be when I grow up? And, 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 and I went back to what I wanted to do as a child. And I've always wanted to work in broadcasting. And um, so I called my sponsor, and um, I prayed on it, and I told her what I wanted to do. And, and uh, she said, Dana, go for it. You know, she said, start dreaming and dream big, big, B-I-G, big. You know, the sky is the limit. Long as you don't drink, long as you don't drug, you can do anything you put your mind to do. Dream big, real big, you know. And, and I made a decision to go back to school, and, and that's what I did. And, and that decision forced me to move out of Michigan City and back to Detroit with my parents. And it was the first time I had been back at home with my parents since I had stopped drinking. And, and, and I was brand new to them. I mean, I was the same raised and brought here, but I was brand new. My ideas of life had changed. My tolerance of them had changed. Uh, I was now able to express love and receive love back from them. And, and for a full year, I went to school, and, and I helped my mom with the dishes, and I helped out with the bills, and, and, and it was okay. And, um, you know, I just, I just know that anything I've ever put my mind to in this program, I have been able to do. And um, I finished school, and, and I got out, and, and I'm a broadcaster by trade. It's, it's, it's what I do. It's, it's where my talents lie. And um, radio and television is, is what I do, and, and, and I worked in radio. I'm a radio news anchor, although I'm not doing that right now. And um, I can't tell you if it wasn't for this fellowship, Nothing that I'm doing now would make sense. I would not be standing here. Um, I would not be able to tell you that I've been able to survive some real tough times in my recovery. You know, it, it hasn't been all peaches and cream. I've had some real tough times, you know, and, and I'm one of those people that when stuff happens, it, it, it happens a lot, you know, and, and, and at, at one year sober, you name it, it happened. I had to file bankruptcy my first year sober. Somebody broke in my apartment and stole everything I owned. Some drunk driver hit me on 12 on the way to a meeting one day and totaled my car and put my head through the windshield. You know, I've gone through some real tough times in this program, but you people have brought me through, and the 12 steps have shown me that I can survive. And um, anyway, you know, I, I, I worked and... Um, I worked in this job, and I got real good at it, you know, and, 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 and I'm, I'm anchoring news in, in the evening, and, and I excelled in it, and, and, I'm, and I'm doing stuff like having dinner with the governor, and I'm meeting people like Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw, and, and I'm going and emceeing pageants, and, and, and I'm doing stuff, you know, and, and, and I'm caught up. You know, I, I had switched from an alcoholic to a workaholic, and I'm putting in 14, 15 hours a day, and I'm sleeping three hours, and I'm getting up, and I'm sucking down crying, and I'm saying, I can't keep doing this. And she's saying, just hang in there for a year, Dana, get some balance. Get some balance. Slow down. 
learn to moderate, turn the overtime down, say no, you know. But I got this disease that tells me that I, if I'm going to do something, man, you go for the gusto. You don't have to do nothing. You don't work a little bit. You don't sleep a little bit. When you do it, you do it all away, you know. And, um, and so I'm keeping up this pace for a whole year. And at the end of that year, I'm realizing that I'm falling apart spiritually. And I don't know if, if, if any of you have ever hit a spiritual bottom. But I tell you what, I've hit a couple in this program, and that was my first, where God felt real far away. And um, I just didn't want to show up for life anymore. And um, the job wasn't making me happy any longer. And I realized that I was that far away from taking a drink. And um, I made a decision. It was a real tough decision. I made a decision to let this job go. And, and I had always been that AA member who said, if anything gets in the way of my recovery, it's got to go. I told newcomers that. I told my sponsor that. I told the people I sponsored that. I still believe that today. If there's something in my life that is jeopardizing my recovery, it's got to go. And in this particular case, it happened to be that job. And, and I made the decision to step away from that job. And, and, and I come back to Michigan City. And, and, and I know the value today of if, if I'm going to make a major change, if I'm moving from an area, if I'm making a job change, if whatever it is I'm doing, I better scout out what kind of recovery is there first. You know, it ain't always about the money. And for a long time, I thought it was. That's the only thing I could identify with was the material things, the cars and the houses and the boats and the helicopters, and I, I tell you, I dream big, B-I-G, big, mansions, okay, you know, and, uh, and, and I realized that it wasn't about that, and I needed to get back someplace where my recovery could be grounded, and, and I come back to Michigan City with my tail between my legs, and, and I felt like a failure, you know, and I can remember saying to myself the same thing I said long, long ago, God, what's wrong with me? I've asked God that question so many times. God, what's wrong with me? How come I can't? How come I can't have this great guy? How come I can't have this great job? How come I can't be happy? How come I can't have this? How come I can't do that? You know, and uh, I realized that the reason I could not is because I had eased God out. Ego, E-G-O, I eased him out. And I took control. And I started running my life all over again. But when I come back, and I got around the people in recovery who kept me grounded and gave me growth and helped me to grow. And I tell you, I was a baby, man. And you people told me, you guys said, Dana, just crawl, just like a little baby, just crawl. You know, and that's what I did. And all over again, with, with four years sober, man, I'm crawling. And I'm looking around. And I'm realizing not only do I not have a second step, I ain't got a third step either. I'm just running on sheer routine. I'm in a routine of making meetings. I'm in a routine of praying, and that's all I got is abstinence. That's all I got. I got no peace. I got no serenity. I got no happiness, okay? And I had to go back to those 12 steps, and I started with one, and I asked God for help. And for me, that's the first step in a nutshell It's just asking for help. I need help. I need help to live. I need help to have balance in that job. I need help to have balance in that relationship. I need help to work through these steps because I don't know. I ain't got no answers in half the time. I don't know if I'm coming or going. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so that's what I did. You know, I, I humbled down and, and I come back to the place where I knew I could get some help. And um, things started to get better. And, and, and today... <laughs> What I do for a living now is, is so far removed from what I used to do. I, I work for the Department of Corrections, and um, the only reason I mention that is because I went through a period where the people in my life were saying, 
wait a minute, you, you, you went from being this superstar person on the radio to this officer in the Department of Corrections. What's happening? You know, and, 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 and I went through the remorse and the guilt of this job change, and, and, and I questioned myself, and I was saying stuff like, yeah, but I'm, I'm protecting my recovery. You ain't understanding, you know. Sobriety is the most important thing in my life. It's coming before that job. I don't care. I just don't care because I don't want to drink anymore, and I don't want to ever live the way I used to live, and I don't want to be without peace. You know, and, and I took the ridicule and I withstood that. And, and today I look at the part that I play in my job and uh, I, I teach out there and, and, and it's probably the most beneficial thing that I could ever do. And, and I know it's only through the grace of God. God said, Dana, take your talents and go into this institution and pass them on to somebody else so that their life can be different, even if it's just one person. We're not going to try to change everybody because there's a whole bunch of them in there, you know. Just, just touch one. Just touch one, you know, and, and, and that's what I live by today, you know. Whenever this fellowship asks me to do something, I don't turn it down. When you say to me, Dana, I want you to give a lead, I give it lead. When you say, Dana, I want you to chair a meeting, I, I chair that meeting. When you call me and you say, Dana, I need a ride, I'm there. When you say, Dana, I want you to hear my fifth step, I'm with it. See, when this fellowship asks me to do something, I do not turn it down because I know that anything I give back is a gift from God. Just like he gave it to me, i got to give it back. And it doesn't mean I'm always going to give it right here. I may give it out there in the streets. I may be the only big book that somebody out there ever sees. And i got to be an example of Alcoholics Anonymous. And through this fellowship, I've gained a set of principles and standards that I've learned to live by. See, I've finally been able to draw that line in the sand and say, I'm not going to let you hurt me, and I'm not going to let me hurt me, because I'm my own worst enemy. And those are the things I have to look at today, not my drinking. i got to look at the things that I do that hurt me, you know, self-inflicted pain, the worst pain that there is. I no longer look for people to blame. I no longer look for ways to justify my behavior. It's not my father's fault. It's not my mother's fault. It's not my man's fault. I am responsible for my own recovery today. And I take this program real serious. And I make meetings and I just keep showing up. And I've had some times in this program that have been real, real difficult for me. Um, at about five years sober, I was... Um, working with the sponsor, and this sponsor made a decision to, to move away. She moved down to Florida. She had a secondary disease, something called lupus, that I'm just learning about. And, and, and she moved away to Florida, and before she left, I had the sister in recovery. She and I were both being sponsored by this woman, and, and my sponsor says to me, she says, Dana, I'm leaving, and, and I want you to take over sponsoring this lady for me. She's having a real hard time getting the first step, and she's not staying sober, and I want you to see what you can do. I want you to work with her. Okay, I'm up for the challenge. I get with this woman. We make meetings. We work steps. We pray together. We talk together. She had a teenage son. I get to know her family, and, and, and we're talking, and we're sharing, and we're going over the big book, and, and I'm giving her everything I got. I gave this woman in sponsorship everything I had to give. Six months later, I get a phone call. She forgot the first step, and... Um, she made a decision to go back out there and drink, and she ran head on into a, head, a car full of kids, and, and she died. And it's the first time I had ever sponsored someone who died. And I can't tell you how much guilt I had. All I could think was, God, I should have done more. 
I should have stayed on that phone an extra minute. I, I should have prayed harder. We should have made more meetings. I, I should have given her more tough love. Maybe I shouldn't have been so tough. I, just more. I mean, I had guilt from head to toe. And I called my sponsor up and, and, and I talked to her and I told her how I was feeling and she told me it wasn't my fault. And, and eventually I got okay with that. And, 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 and I tell you what, once I got past that guilt, I learned one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned in this program. And that is that sponsors have limitations too. You know, they can only give you so much. A sponsor can only give you so much. You got to do the rest. You know, I'm that person who made step meetings because I didn't understand that second, that third, and that fourth step. I made step meetings. I didn't just go to topic and discussion meetings. I went to step meetings, and I brought it up, and I listened to people share their experience, strength, and hope. And when I got confused, I called my sponsor, and I went, hey, tell me about this. Tell, tell me what it is. What's the difference between a character defect and a shortcoming? I don't understand. What am I supposed to write in this fourth step? How, how thorough is this supposed to be? Is this supposed to be like an autobiography? Do I do it the way that it's in the big book? They said this in the meeting. They said that in the meeting. I did what I had to do to keep myself sober, and I used my sponsor to back me up. Sponsors have limitations, too. And that's what I learned by losing this young lady to the disease of alcoholism. You know? And today I know that if you stick around this fellowship long enough, you're going to know somebody that's going to die from this. Just keep showing up. It's going to happen. You're going to know somebody that's going to die from the disease of alcoholism for whatever reason. I, I, I know that they say that some of us must die so that others can live, but I tell you what, I'm staying. I'm here and I'm staying. I'll pull my chair up beside you. I'll talk. I'll drink coffee with you, but I'm not giving mine up. I'm staying. You know, it's up to you to do what you got to do to get what you got to get. You know, you keep showing up and you keep working steps and you keep living life. Um, today I have a sponsor who is probably my best friend. And um, I need to tell you this, um, this past November, these past six months have been the most grueling part of my recovery. Um, in November, I, I lost my grandmother, and she and I were very, very close. And, and this happened in a time when I wasn't nearly as spiritually fit as I should be. See, I know the value of spirituality today, not just religion. I feel spiritual energy when I'm in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous when I'm around you. I've learned how to feed my spirit. And I went through a period when I got complacent, and we all go through it, where we get just kind of comfortable, and we just kind of like, I call it flatlining. And you just kind of flatlining, and everything's going all right. No high highs, no low lows, just hey, bills getting paid, I ain't drinking, great relationship, car's running good, I'm working every day, I'm all right. I ain't struggling with not drinking. I ain't dreaming about it no more, you know. It's just not a struggle to not drink, and, and that's what happened to me. I got real complacent, and complacent is kind of like smug, you know. I'm just kind of smug and just kind of resting on my laurels and um, I don't want to go to meetings and sit at first step tables. I'm tired of hearing about the first step. Now, I got too big for my britches. I don't want to hear the first step no more, you know. And I don't want to spend time talking with that newcomer. Somebody else going to do it. Somebody's going to grab that newcomer and give that person a hug. I ain't got to do it. I come to meetings late, leave early, you know. I get there, I share from my head, not from my heart. Or I'm sharing some gibberish. I'm giving you big book rhetoric, and I ain't telling you what's really going on with me. And that's what happened. And, and in November, I got called to the rug 
because my grandmother passed away. And she and I were like that. And I was born on her birthday, April 27th, a week ago today, was my birthday and hers. And um, after she died, my mother had a nervous breakdown in January. I had to force petition papers and commit her to a state mental institution. My little brother, who's 15 years old, come up missing, just disappeared, just vanished, just like that. Somebody took my visa card and ran up a whole bunch of dialer porn crap on it. The chicks on the TV, 1-800-whatever-it-is, you know. And then in March, in the middle of a snowstorm, somebody comes along and runs head-on into the front of my car, keeps me off work for a whole month. I tell you what, from November of last year to March of this year was the most difficult time in my recovery that I could ever remember because everything in my life had changed, everything. All my securities were gone. My grandma was gone. My mom was gone. My brother was missing. My financial situation was in jeopardy. Physically, I was injured. My back, my neck, you know, I was just literally torn apart. And I realized during that time that I didn't have a third step. And I can't tell you how frightening that was. I got angry at God because I felt like he was the creator. He was in power of all things, and he could stop the pain. And he, not only was he not stopping it, there was some more stuff coming. Every day I was scared to wake up because there was some more stuff coming. And I fell into another depression, and depression is very, very real in this fellowship. And believe me when I tell you, family, you ain't got to drink to want to die around here. You can get so low in your spirit and so empty inside that showing up for life just don't make sense, and that's where I was. And all I knew to do was make meetings, and I made meetings. And, and I have seven years sober in August, and so with six years, I'm in meetings. And I'm sharing, and I'm saying stuff like, I'm not believing in this higher power. I'm having a hard time with this God thing. I'm uncomfortable with me. I don't know if I'm coming or going. And I'm scaring people. Y'all didn't know what to do with me because I've always been this spiritual person. And, oh, my God, everybody comes to Dana with whatever's going on in their life. And let me talk to you about this, Dana. Let me call you that, Dana. And for the first time, Dana was at her lowest point, and I needed help. And I just kept showing up at meetings, and I didn't care who said what. And I talked about where I was at. You know, and finally, a member of this program saw me. I was desperate, as desperate as the dying can be. And this member saw me, and she took me to a meeting, and she took me out for coffee, and we sat and we ate dinner, and we drank coffee, and, and I just dumped. And sometimes that's what it's about with us. We just need to dump. All that little stuff going on in your head that you think ain't about nothing, you got to get it out. Because if I don't get it out, can't nothing come in. You see what I'm saying? I block myself off from the sunlight of the Spirit by not sharing honestly about what's going on with me. And right now, I'm in a room with a bunch of alcoholics who know where I've been and who know where I'm going and who know the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you better believe that between now and the time I leave here, if I get a burning desire, if something gets on my back and I think I need to share it, I will not hesitate to pull any one of you to the side and go, hey, please just listen to me, please. Please just listen. I just need you to listen to me, you know. And so I was in that deep, dark spiritual place, and I realized that I needed to do something else in order to save my life. And my sponsor couldn't fix it. See, we go through some stuff in this program that your sponsor just can't fix. They, they got limitations too. What's a sponsor? Another recovering alcoholic. Another person. Another human being. I had to call on a power greater than myself. I needed divine intervention. And... um. I decided to go home and um, 
get next to water. And, and I found out for me, when I need to feel my spirit, I get next to water. Now, I'm from Detroit, concrete jungle. We got the Detroit River, but don't nobody pay attention to it, okay? When I come here and I saw Lake Michigan and I saw that shoreline and I saw all that sand and I saw ducks. We ain't got no ducks in Detroit. We got them. I ain't never seen them, man. We got squirrels. You know, man, I'm seeing ducks and I'm seeing seagulls and deer. You don't see deer in Detroit. You just don't see them running across the road, raccoons and possums and that kind of thing. You know, this, this was all new to me. And, and I found out for me that part of my spirituality is in nature. I've got to get next to nature. I've got to get out there. I've got to get next to that water. Water keeps me spiritually buoyant. I know that. Whenever I'm in my deepest, darkest point or if I'm in a best place spiritually, I go out to that lake and I look at that water. And I go, wow. And, and that's all I can say is like, oh, wow. Man, who, who put that lake out there? Whenever I doubt my God, I look at that lake and I say to myself, who put that lake out there? Didn't no man do that. No man put that lake out there. No man put the stars up in the sky. No man did that. I know there's a power greater, and I know that he's working in my life. And when I was in that deep, dark spiritual place, I went home and I got in my bathtub. And that's another thing. I got my first, my own place in recovery, and I've never done that before. I'm that person who goes from one caretaker to another, from my mother's house to the treatment center, from the treatment center to some man's house, you know. And, and that was my pattern, you know. And, and I found out that didn't work for me, and so now I have my own place in recovery. And no man got it. I got it. I pay my own rent. I got my own NIPSCO, my own telephone bill. I pay the cable bill. I buy groceries. I pay car notes. See, these are things that I could never do before I come into this fellowship. And, and when I got this place of my own, the first thing I noticed is that it didn't have a shower. And for me, that was real good because I'm that quick person, quick change. Hurry up, get in there, get out. This place has an old-fashioned clawfoot bathtub with the high back, you know, see those bathtubs you see on TV. And uh, in this deep, dark spiritual place, I got in that bathtub one day on the suggestion of one of the members, and, and I lit a candle. And I was in so much pain, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do about the man in my life who wasn't treating me the way I thought I should be treated. And I didn't know what to do about my grandmother who was gone and wasn't coming back. And I didn't know what to do about my mother who was in the midst of schizophrenia, and I didn't know how to help her. I just didn't know what to do. And I got in that tub, and I lit myself a candle, and I turned everything off in my house. No HBO, no telephone. I turned it all off. And I sat in that tub, and I looked into that candle, and I had a long, long talk with my God. And I told him how I felt, that I felt alone, and I was scared, and I didn't believe, and I wanted to believe, and I didn't know what to do. And in that bathtub, my higher power talked back. And what I learned from that is that in this fellowship, we learn how to pray. That's the first thing we learn how to do. We, we got the serenity prayer. We got the third step prayer. We got the seventh step prayer. We, we say the Lord's prayer. We learn how to pray. But I was missing the second part of the 11th step. I had learned how to meditate. See, I know the benefit of meditation today. And if there's anything I can give to you is that learn how to meditate. Do whatever it is you've got to do to learn how to quiet your mind. I hadn't learned how to do that. I knew how to talk, and I talk, 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 and, 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 and I expect the God to listen, 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 but I get down on my knees, and I pray, and as soon as I say that, man, up, oh, and off I go, turn HBO on, here's the telephone ringing, here's the doorbell ringing, and I'm back off into me. I didn't know how after I said amen down there on my knees, 
to sit down there and just listen to the quiet, you know. And I appreciate the quiet today, you know. I've learned how to quiet my mind to a point where I imagine there's a hole in the top of my head. And whatever's in my head in meditation, I just let it flow out. God, take worry. God, take financial problems. God, take family problems. Take job problems. Take this relationship from me. Take it out. See, I always thought that the spirit flowed this way. Sometimes it's got to flow that way. It's got to come from the inside out. Sometimes I've got to clean house so that I can get the spirit. That's just for me. So in this bathtub I sit, and I do this on a regular basis now. I sit in my bathtub in that water, and I get as relaxed as I'm capable of being, and I just listen to the quiet. And I let God talk back to me. So you've got to shut up sometimes and listen, you know. And if you live in one of those households where you can't get it quiet, you've got kids, you've got significant other, you've got whatever it is, find a refuge. Find some place outside that house where you can get and be by yourself. Because I've learned through this program that I must have self-love. Without self-love, I will die. And when I say die, I don't mean a physical death. You can die spiritually here, too. We hit spiritual bottoms in recovery, just like we hit emotional bottoms, you know. And I've learned that if I can't get quiet where I'm at, then I better go someplace where I can get quiet. And I used the beach. I used the lake. Yesterday, I spent most of the day in the Indiana Dunes right down here off 12. They got all kinds of hiking trails. I hike during the day. I just put my Walkman on and I dress warm and I put on my Reeboks and off I go. I get next to nature because that's how I feel my heart power, you know. That's how I feel the spirit. That's how I get rid of whatever's going on with me. I walked along the shore of that lake yesterday and, and, and there was a bunch of rocks and it's all kinds of fish, or whatever kind of fish it is that die this time of year. And, and, and I'm picking up rocks and, 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 and I start chucking rocks and this is an exercise I do when I need to release and let go of some stuff. I pick up rocks, and I say, okay, God, take procrastination. And off into the lake, I chuck that rock. And I pick up another one. I say, okay, God, take guilt. And, man, I tell you, I throw that rock with as much might as I got because I need to get rid of stuff. I need to get free. Sometimes I need something physical to do in order to get free. Sometimes I can't just get it from AA. Sometimes i got to look at that last pertinent idea that says God could and would if he were sought, and i got to seek him out. And he ain't going to come to me. I'm, I'm not going to get it sitting at home. I'm, I'm not going to get friends sitting in my living room. I'm, I'm not going to get peace sitting in front of that television. I've got to get out, and i got to seek. i got to do what i got to do to get what i got to get. And um, I just tell you what, family, this, this, this program is just, beautiful to me. You know, I, I have lists in this program. I got four-step lists. I got eight-step lists. I got ten-step lists. I got gratitude lists. I got trigger lists. I work hard at my recovery. I don't have time to play. I don't have time to rest. This is serious. I work so hard. I come to stuff like this. I still make those phone calls at two and three in the morning when I need to. I still tell you when I'm hurting. I still take meetings hostage. If people don't like it, I don't care. They can leave, but I'm not going. I'm staying. I'm not leaving Alcoholics Anonymous. I need you. I need you in order to live. And I can't tell you how grateful I am. You know, I, I, I still feel emotional and, and, and I still want to cry, but the, the tears I have today are tears of joy because I know that we don't have to die. We, we just don't have to die, you know. I'm an alcoholic named Dana, and I'm going to keep coming back. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs>